Um, so we're looking at a passage uh, this week from Matthew, like Aleem said. Uh, it's Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, and a lot of people call it the parable of the talents. So I reckon we'll kick off by reading that. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, uh, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And, for this and as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's our, uh, our reading for this Sunday. Now, a little bit of background. Um, we at Found here have kind of been trying to follow the Christian calendar, um, which is why we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew for the last little while. Uh, and it's kind of cool because it means that uh, we're looking at the same passage as a lot of churches all around the world. But I would be lying if I said, when I saw that this was the passage for this Sunday, I didn't swear a tiny little bit. <laughs> uh, because last time I gave the message, 
we looked at the parable of the workers in the field. Uh, now that parable painted this picture of God as this profoundly gracious and generous person. Even to the point where it seemed like God was unreasonable. But when I read this passage, my heart kind of sank because it seems to be painting a completely different picture of God. It's not the picture of generosity and grace, but rather it's one where God seems to be extremely eager to judge and to punish. And I didn't really know what to do with that. Because you know what the take-home message of a passage like this is, don't you? You've probably heard it a thousand times before. All around the world, what you'll be hearing in churches is this message. Okay, everyone, you all need to try extra hard to make sure you're using the gifts and talents that God has given you to please God. Remember, you only have one life. And if you don't try hard enough, you might end up like the last servant here and get thrown out into the darkness. You don't want to appear before God one day and have nothing to show. So try extra hard this week. The thing is, though, I can't do that. Uh, I, I can't sit here in front of you and say those things because that's not the gospel. Standing here and saying we all need to get our act together and prove to God how worthy we are, that isn't the gospel. And I've sworn to myself, I will never stand in front of a church and make people feel like they just have to try a little bit harder. Because God is a God who pays the workers of the field the same. God is a God who is generous and forgiving and kind. God is a God you can fall in front of in tears with nothing to give and nothing to show and God will rush out and pick you up and embrace you. That's who God is. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what we offer God. It's about God pouring God's self out for us in love. And that's what transforms us. That's what makes us change and grow. Not being told to get our acts together, but being so fundamentally moved by the grace and forgiveness and love of God that we can't help but to pour out our lives in love and service for others. Heart change doesn't come from being threatened. Heart change comes from being completely blown away by the gospel. And so I can't sit here today and say, this parable teaches us to use our gifts out of fear of being punished one day. So go out there and try really hard to impress God. I can't do it. I couldn't live with myself if that's what I did. But what then? What do we do with this parable? What do we do with this teaching of Jesus? What if the master in the story isn't God? 
What if we've got it all wrong? Because I know it might seem crazy, because I think for anyone who's been in a church, we've just assumed that obviously the master of the story is God. But what if he isn't? (laughs) Keeping me honest, I love it. As it turns out, there there are early Christians who read this parable and when they read this parable, they didn't see the master as God. We've got writings from them. It's really interesting. It was the opposite. When the early Christians read this parable, the master to them represented the empire. The master represented the power structures of the wealthy that exploited the rest of society. There's a handful of scholars who believe we've got it all wrong. They believe that this parable is meant to contrast with the other parables around this passage. The other parables in this section of Matthew all deal with waiting and being ready. Aleem last week looked at the story of the bridesmaids waiting for the groom. They deal with what it's like to wait for God, what it's like to wait for the future return of Jesus. But this parable, they say, shows us what it's like if we instead waited for Caesar. If we instead put our trust in Caesar. If we put our trust in the ways of the world. And I don't have to tell you what the ways of Caesar are like. I don't have to tell you how the empire of the world works. We all of us get it. It's the powerful exploiting the weak to get more power. It's the wealthy exploiting the poor to get richer. It's people using each other like objects rather than real life human beings. It's fighting for our own rights and our own well-being and not caring how that affects other people. It's tyranny. It's make America great again. It's stop the boats. It's everything that isn't like God. And the first two slaves are the people stuck in that system. Because of the fear or because of greed, they're slaves of that system. But not the last slave. See, in the ancient world, people didn't think of money the way we think of money. Today, we're pretty familiar with the idea that you can kind of just create money out of thin air or at least like federal banks can do that I haven't acquired that skill yet but like money for us is if I invest in something and I make a profit it's not like I'm taking that money from someone it's just money that that my investment made I'm not taking it from anyone or if I have a property and it gains value It just kind of gains value. I'm not taking that value from someone else and adding it to my own. It just kind of grows. But that's not how the ancient world saw it. In the ancient world, people believed there was a limited supply of everything. There was only so much money in the world. And for you to get more money, someone else had to lose it. So when the people Jesus is talking to hears the story, They hear something totally different than what we hear. 
what the ancient audience hears is that once there was a rich man who got his slaves to go out there and make him more money. And where did that money come from? It came from them. It came from the already poor. Because the more money that the rich had, the less money was available for the poor. They could never get to it. They were always stuck in cycles of poverty and there was no way for them to get out because the rich were always hoarding all of the money. So when the people in Jesus' day are hearing the story, they're cheering for the last slave because the last slave is the one who stands up to the master and says no. He doesn't play his game. He does the honorable thing and keeps the money safe rather than taking more money away from the poor. For them, the last slave is the hero of the story. And just like that last slave, Jesus stood up to the ways of the empire. Jesus refused to play by the rules of this world. He refused to honor what we honor and shame what we shame. He didn't play the games of the political elite. He didn't play the games of the religious leaders. And for that, like the last slave, he was thrown out into the darkness. The little he had was taken from him and given to the abusers around him. They took him. The Romans and the Pharisees, those who speak for Caesar and those who claim to speak for God, and they nailed him to a cross. Now the world is a dark place. This week we've seen more scenes of utter despair and utter desperation come out of Manus. There have been more revelations of Hollywood superstars sexually abusing people and politicians sexually abusing people. Tomorrow is Transgender Day of Remembrance. And the reason there has to be a Transgender Day of Remembrance is because we live in a dark place. And I don't have to tell you that. Everyone here can watch the news. The world can be an extremely and terrifyingly dark place. But what Jesus shows us is that God is in the darkness with us. God hasn't abandoned us. And it's not just the darkness out there. It's not just the bad people out there. It's the darkness in my own heart. It's the fact that given the right circumstances, I know I'm capable of all sorts of awful things. But God hasn't abandoned me. And God hasn't abandoned the world. God is in the darkness with us. Yes, Jesus was nailed to a cross. But death on the cross wasn't the end of his story. We have hope because we have the resurrection. Yep, there is dark. But the dawn is coming. Death is part of this world, but death will not have the final say. The world has hope because Christ is in the world. And it's a hope that drives us. It drives us, like the last slave, to say no to the empire of the world. 
to not play its games. We have hope, and this hope drives us, weak as we may be, to join with God in bringing about a kingdom of peace and grace and forgiveness and love, to drive out the darkness, not with strength or fear, but with grace and love and meekness, by turning the other cheek, by going the extra mile, by giving of ourselves as Jesus gave of himself. That's my hope. And that's my prayer that this community have found will be a community that's completely shaped by these things. That we will help bring about God's kingdom in beautiful, loving, us-shaped ways. Amen.